Good morning, Thrive Church. How are we doing this morning? It's uh, good to be back with you guys. I was in Colorado Springs last week getting poured into myself because I don't get to attend church. I'm up here every week uh, speaking to you, and it's an awesome time. And I'm just really pumped about this series that we're in uh, called The Key to Everything. And today what you're going to realize is the key to everything is not generosity. I know you thought that last week, right? That's what he's going to talk about. But today is actually something that generates generosity. I want to talk about that today. There was a study done in the 70s, and maybe you heard of it. I, um, I was born in 79, so I didn't experience it. It was called the marshmallow test. It was done with children, and here's what they found out, that children who did better in life later had the power of delayed gratification, and the children who didn't do as well later couldn't delay gratification. So they did this test. They said, all right, little, little Billy, I mean, actually that's like a kid's name, right? Little Billy, uh, we're going to give you one marshmallow now, but if you wait 15 minutes, we'll give you two. And most of the kids would opt for the one now instead of the two later. I tried that with my son, and he failed. So if you feel like, if you're like sweating bullets as a parent, don't worry, my son failed. I'm still trying to work with him on that. Um, but here's where it went beyond that. Now, listen to a podcast recently that was just fascinating. They went in and they did the same experiment with adults. They said, you can have $100 now, or we'll give you $300 at the end of the year if you'll wait a whole year. And like 90% of the adults wanted the $100 right now. And they did varying tests and things of that nature where they like, you know, kept trying to test these adults. But then they changed the, the whole test up. They had two focus groups, and, and this is super important, two focus groups. They had one group that practiced the discipline of gratitude before. Here's what they did. They had this group go into a room alone, and they wrote down people they were thankful for opportunities they were, th they were thankful for and things they were thankful for. And they focused on that. They weren't Christians. They were just people. And so they got in their mind how grateful they were about the people in their life, the things in their life. Then they had another group who didn't do that. Here's what they found out. This is so fascinating. Number one, the ones who practiced gratefulness, the discipline and the meditation of gratefulness, they delayed their gratification. Nine times out of ten, they would wait to get the money. Not only that, but during one of the computer tests, they faked the shutdown of the computer. Just faked it. So like during the middle of this long test, you're like answering questions, it just shuts down. And the person comes in and says, I'm so sorry, well, this has never happened before, but they, they knew it was going to happen. The people who practice gratefulness, the discipline of that, and they thought they were very, they were musing on that and thinking about it, they were kind to the person with the computer. Uh, they went on and on with these, all these other tests, and they found out this. The people who practiced gratefulness and took time before that test were actually more generous as well. They had a chance to donate money to certain organizations during all this testing. And the ones who did that were actually way more generous than the ones who didn't practice the discipline of gratitude and the meditation of that. And I want to talk to you about that today because I think so many times in our lives as believers, we're surrounded by negativity, we're surrounded by problems, we're surrounded by so many things around us, and we tend to forget what the Lord has done in our life. We tend to forget the day that we were saved. We tend to forget how good God has been to us. And I want us today to understand something very important, that this, this gratitude is, is the key to everything. And today's scripture in Joshua 4, if you're turning to Joshua chapter 4, verse 4 today in your copy of God's word, you're going to see this in action. 
Now, to back up a little bit, remember that God promised Abraham that out of you, this one guy, out of you will become a great nation. And that your people will be like the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky, and I'm going to bless you. And who blesses you, I'll bless you. And who curses you, I'll curse you. And man, I'm behind you, and it's going to be awesome. Abraham was the first monotheistic believer, the first one ever to believe in one true living God. His generation all believed in many gods. Not many, but many. And so he, he launches out and followed the children of Israel. That happens when they go into slavery to Egypt. God gets them out of Egypt. Remember that? And he closes the Red Sea. And they were so thankful. They had this thing called the Passover because God passed over their houses. And they were just grateful for what God had done in rescuing them. But they went into captivity again because of their disobedience. They go into exile, Assyria and Babylon, take them over and, and up and down and up and down. This is the, the life of the children of Israel. Does it feel like your life a little bit too? But they get to a point with Joshua before they ever got to the promised land. Moses had died. And they get to this point where across the Jordan River is the land which they inhabit today. Israel does. And they get to that, that point this river is, they're not sure how they'll cross the river, and God makes the rivers part. Dry ground again for them to cross through. And I want you to see what happens when they do this in Joshua 4. It's phenomenal. It says this, so Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord your God, each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out to the shoulder, or carry it on your shoulder, excuse me, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now watch what this is for. He says, we will use these stones to build a memorial, and in the future, in the future, this, this is key, in the future, your children will ask you, what do these stones mean? And then you can tell them, they remind us that the, the, the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So the men did as Joshua had commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan River, one for each tribe, just as the Lord had told Joshua. They carried them to the place where they camped for the night and constructed the memorial there. What they did was they paused, and that memorial was one of gratefulness. It was one of thankfulness. They had to go in and pick a stone out. And they said, this will be something that when your children ask you, when people walk by, what does this mean? You can pause and tell them the story of the goodness of God. It was always a, remember, a remembrance, a memorial to remember the goodness of God, to be grateful and to be thankful and to share that with other generations. I want to tell you something about generosity, and this is very important about generosity. What we learned from the study didn't start in a study. It's how God created us, and it's this. Generosity is generated from gratefulness. Generosity is generated from gratefulness. And the Lord wanted them to pause and to be grateful and thankful for what he had done. Do you know over 140 times in the Bible it says give thanks? Give thanks to the Lord. Over and over again we're told to remember, to not forget. Why? Because that happens. 
And so we have to understand that the more grateful you are for something, the more opportunity there is to be generous and kind to someone else. The more grateful for you are for what God has done in your life, the more uh, opportunity you have to be thankful and grateful and generous to somebody. But you have to understand this. Forgetfulness is the greatest enemy of gratefulness. I, I believe that there's a spiritual gift not mentioned in the Bible. It's called the spiritual gift of amnesia. <laughs> and that's what we have as believers, right? Like, what happened? What did he preach last week? I don't really remember. <laughs> And if you do, you're in the top 10%. But what we have to remember is to not forget. Because I, I believe wholeheartedly that the more we forget, the more that we forget how good God has been, the more we forget what God has done, the less grateful we are and the less generous we are and the less kind we are to other people. I mean, I mean, even think about this with marriage. Um, you, if, you know, and I don't do this anymore because so I'm really bad at it. I told you this, like, I'm not good at marriage counseling. So I'm not a counselor. I didn't go to school for counseling. I went to school and got a degree in Greek. So I can tell you what the original word for submission is in the Bible, right? Like, like I can tell you all that stuff. But I don't really, I'm not a psychologist. I remember sitting together, and this is back when I was younger, in ministry with this couple, and they just hated each other. I mean, they were snarling at each other and growling. And I was like, are they even demon-possessed? I don't know. <laughs> this is crazy. And I got to a point, it was so frustrating. I said to them, why did you ever get married in the first place? You hate each other. And they looked and they said, but it wasn't always like that. They said, I remember when I first met them. And they went back and started tracing back memories and those memories begin to evoke emotions in their life and them saying, I remember when, I remember why I fell in love with this person. Because they begin to remember once again. And see, that's the same thing, same thing that happens with your walk with the Lord. The same thing that happens with anything that, that you have. You're first really grateful for that job, right? You're super stoked. God get, made a way for you, got them a promotion. And then two years later, you're like, I hate this job. <laughs> but do you remember how bad you wanted it? And it's up to us as believers to pause and practice gratitude to the Lord. Matter of fact, one thing that it does actually rewires your brain. We live in a world where we're always focused on the obstacles. We're always focused on the negative. We're always, and what happens is the more, and we call it the line, I'm gonna be teaching our staff this this month, uh, this month is that there's a line in your life and below that line is negativity. There's complaining. There's all the problems. There's the, ugh, ugh, ah. You meet people out there all the time. Hey, how are you doing? <clears throat> and you're like, you're like, I, I don't have any friends. Like, I can tell you why. Like, you're, you're, and, and we're always below that line. But when you live below that line and when you focus on the negative things of anything, your spouse, your church, your job, whatever it is, and you give, it rewires your brain to become more negative and more negative. It's like a snowball effect. See, I heard this this week from a leader. He said, complaining is not a strategy. Below the line is complaining. Above the line is gratitude. It's when you begin to remember and think about all the good things that are happening, the good things about your spouse, the good things about your job, the great things that we have. Not the, ooh, I don't like this cold weather, but pausing and saying, Lord, I just love the beauty of fall. Like you have a choice to live below or above that line. And above that line is when you have vision for your life. It's when relationships flourish in your life. It's when you find purpose when you live above the line. It's when you begin to make an impact.
But here's what I know in our life. Generosity and kindness dwindle when there's forgetfulness. See, I, I have this belief is that people who are the most critical of other people and can always point out all their flaws are people in their life who, you know, when you get to that point, you're always upset and you're always, you're not very kind to people. You forget how much of a screw up you are. Right? Right? And, and when you forget the kindness of God towards you, when you forget about your flaws, when you forget about how generous God has been to you, what happens is you're stingy. You withhold love and you punish other people by withholding love for them. Have you ever, you know, not, not, not hugged someone or not shook their hand or you don't, you know, if you're a married couple, you just kind of like stonewall them. You're like, I ain't responding to, you, to your, your attempts of love. Why? You're stu- because, why? Because you are upset with them. And I want to encourage you. I believe that so many times in our life, the reason believers are not more, are not, aren't kinder to other people. They don't have more grace for other people. One of the reasons believers aren't generous in their life is because they've just forgotten. They've just forgotten. As a matter of fact, it, it's funny, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, now this was written by Moses, and this was Moses. Like Remember, Joshua comes after Moses, and Joshua grew up with Moses. Joshua was his right-hand man, right? So he's like there the whole time. And in Deuteronomy 6, Moses is delivering what God had told him to tell the children of Israel. And here's what he says. He says, the houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. That's a picture of grace. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig, and you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill of this land, and look what he says, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from the slavery in the land of Egypt. Like, do you understand how incredibly blessed you are and I am? And not just with stuff, but the gospel. This is a picture of the gospel that Jesus rescued you from being a slave to sin. And, 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 we, and we usually forget that, that Jesus himself, we weren't, once were sinners. How many times in the New Testament, Paul says, you used to be. You once were. Right? There's also a line where we were people who were cut off from God, slaves to sin. And what I try to do, guys, is pause and thank God personally and verbally and specifically every day to stay above the line for what he's done in my life. I mean, I want you to pause for a second. Think about, do you remember where you were and who you were when you gave your life to Jesus? Maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you don't have a gospel moment of transformation I think the further we get from that date in our life, the more that we forget that, the so easy it is to forget the generosity of God toward us in our life. And I want you in, in your life to not forget. It says in the Bible so many times, it says this. It says Psalm 78, 7 says that they should not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Second Kings says the covenant that I've made with you, you shall not forget. And then I love Psalm 103 too. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget his benefits. That the Lord, don't forget the benefits that God has given you from salvation. Don't forget that he's given you the Holy Spirit. He's given you purpose. 
And so many times we move away from that, and then we wonder why our lives are in the shape that they're in. See, everything that we do, and this church is shaped by this principle here. What Thrive is, we're shaped by it. And maybe you're new here and you don't know this. Maybe you've been coming for years and you're like, man, I hear this all the time. But I want you to know, what I do, I have pictures saved on my phone. Um, I, I should have had them bring those up this week, but I wasn't that quick. I was in Colorado Springs and I just got back in. I had that jet lag brain. You ever had that before? But what I do, guys, I scroll through those pictures. I remember when there were 20 people here. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not exaggerating. I remember when our church didn't look anything like this. We didn't have any staff. It was me and Randy. We were just, me and him were just, you know, he was just a volunteer helping out with, with finances. And no matter what, when I start facing things that really had me struggling as a pastor, and I'm trying to work through this and work through that, we just went through COVID, which was a very difficult season. I look back at those pictures and I remember I pause and look back at the pictures, and I remember when I planted my first church in Florida. And here's what I remember about planting that church in Florida, and here's what I remember out here. I remember going into Florida and pastors not wanting me to be there, and they told me that. I had one guy say, hey, buddy, we don't need another church in town. Why doesn't God lead you somewhere else to plant? I wanted to buy him lunch, and I wanted to meet with him, and that's the email that I got back. He said, someone David and someone Saul, and I'm I'm not going to tell you who's who. And that was the welcome committee I got to Florida. I remember how I was treated. I remember not having a mentor. I remember not not having a coach. Just wading through life on my own. I remember sleeping on an air mattress for two years, guys, with plastic college furniture. And I wasn't in college anymore from Target. I remember my wife living an hour and a half away from me. I only get to see her on weekends. I'm planning this church. I'm living with my buddies who just got divorced. His wife left him. We're trying to start a church from scratch. I had no money. And I remember when I came here, and I remember how gracious God has been to us at Thrive and how generous God was. So when you wonder why do we give money out to all all these other churches, why do we send people to other churches to help plant churches? Why do when a church planter comes to to Richmond, they want to start a brand new church, we're like, come on in. Why is it that I spend time pouring into the Big C Church? I spent four days two weeks ago each day doing something for the Big C Church. Spent time with some of the leading churches in Richmond, just sharing with them and spending time with them. Why would I do it? Why would I be so generous with my time? Why would we be so generous with our money? Why would we say, you know what? I'll keep the old carpet. You can't really see it. That's why we keep it dark in here because it's probably like older than you are. <laughs> why are we like the MacGyver church? We're DIYing everything together. But, but, why, but here is why, because I remember and I would rather live lean here so we could bless other people so they never experienced what I experienced. That when they come to Richmond to do ministry, we're just like, man, we're for you. We're for RVA. But all that comes because of gratefulness. And can I tell you, when I am the least grateful and when I become focused on my problems and all the things we got to do and I want to compete with other churches and outgrow other churches, and yeah, that, that, that happens. It happens to every pastor here in Richmond and in the world. When that type of negative, underlying thinking happens, that's when I begin to withhold generosity. And I said, well, no, no, no. I got to look out for number one first. And that's not the way the Lord operates in his kingdom. So I want you to pause and think about how good the Lord has been to you. 
the times he's answered those prayers. We have all these lists of prayers that we just keep just, just kind of lining up. But how many times do you pause and you thank God? Do you have a, a thank God list of answered prayers? But we have prayer, we have prayer requests. But we call them, you know, in the, in the old days, we call them praise reports. And you remember praise reports? The worst, let me tell you, the worst church services ever, though, when they got up and did testimony service. You ever been through one of those? Some of y'all haven't. We're not doing those at Thrive. And on Sunday nights, they do testimonies. People get up and just talk. You get in the microphone. It was really bad. But, but we want to, <laughs> I was like, is this a testimony or is this like a, you know, is this torture? I don't know what this is, but they're doing it. <laughs> but you've got to also have that same thought in mind because here is the key. Here's the key for us, and this is why we are generous. The same reason that the children of Israel did what they did with the 12 stones, the same reason we are too. And here's what we have to understand about generosity. It's not about you. And we're going to write this down. Let today's generosity become stones for the next generation. Let today's generosity become stones for the next generation. In other words, have you ever seen a turtle sitting on a fence post? How many of you know that he didn't get there by himself, right? <laughs> Somebody put that turtle. If you ever see a turtle sitting on a fence post, you know one thing about that turtle. He didn't climb the fence. Somebody put him there. And that's what generosity is. Right now, you're sitting in a building that other people had the vision for and they sacrificed for. I, I, you know, I talk with the pastor and we're part of the same network, so I get to see him about once or twice a year. And he's getting ready to retire this year. He's, he's out in Suffolk and I get to talk with him. And he is so grateful today. You've never met him. Most of you wouldn't know him. He is so grateful today that this is happening in this building because this is what he envisioned and he sacrificed. And it literally burnt him out in ministry getting this thing. It was an old tennis club. You're sitting in a building that somebody else had the vision for. I am preaching in a, on a stage in a pulpit that another pastor before me had the vision for. They laid, what we're sitting in are stones, and I'm part of that next generation, and you're part of that next generation. And here's what we have to remember. We have to be about the next generation that's coming behind us. As a matter of fact, it says this in Psalms 78. It says, excuse me, it says Psalm 71. Oh, God, you have taught me, watch this, from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I'm old and gray, and this is what David was writing, do not abandon me. And I love this. Draw your attention to this here. Oh, God, let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. Do you know that Christianity is always one generation from extinction? There are no grandchildren in the, children, in the, in the family of God. I don't care if your granddaddy was a preacher. If you've not given your life to Christ, you're not a follower of Jesus, right? It doesn't matter what grandma and granddaddy did. It is up to us to proclaim God's goodness to the next generation, to think about those who are coming afterwards. And the older we get, the more focused we can be on, well, this is what I like, and this is what I, I don't like that song. I like that. What about that song from 1999 we should sing? I like that one. That's a good one. Well, get a CD and play it. Because <laughs> you got to realize something, guys. You got to realize something. I'm not here to reach me. If you're a follower of Jesus, I'm here to disciple you, but I'm not here to reach you. It's about that guy who was just like me who's going to walk through those doors and doesn't give a flip what year the song's from, doesn't give 
doesn't care about the carpet. It's about the next generation. And can I tell you this? Like, what's amazing with this church here, and I tell you this all the time, is that what you have done with your generosity has not only planted churches and started brand new churches in Richmond, and right now in Connecticut, there's a church worshiping. There are people being impacted by the gospel because you gave financially, right? Isn't that amazing that right now that is happening in Connecticut because of you? But not only that, there are children, and I say children because they're 18 or under. Listen, y'all, you, you're still children, in my, in, my, in my opinion, right? So don't get mad at me, students. There are students who are running the sound and production because you gave. Because you gave. And they're doing all this stuff here. And my vision is for it to be their church, not just my church. Because it's about them. It's about the ones who are coming. And that's what generosity does. Every time you give, it is laying a stone for the next generation. Every time you give, there's a story to be told for the next generation. And my fear is, as believers, we can become so inwardly focused about me and my and I that we forget that, man, the vision is in 100 years from now that there's generations worshiping Jesus and being obedient to Jesus and planting churches at Thrive Church, that it goes way beyond us. And every time you give, that's what generosity does. If you're someone who says, well, the church just wants my money. We don't want your best. He said before, give to another church. It's all about the message of Jesus to me. That, that I, I want my son, I want my son to, to, to be able to experience the goodness of the Lord because of the generosity that I'm putting forth. I want somebody else's children to experience the goodness of the Lord. There's, somebody, there's a grandma in Connecticut praying that her child will get to church and her, her unchurched son or daughter will get there. And Tim, Sean, and Cynthia at New One Church are going to reach them because we laid a stone for them. So how, how do you do this? There's three quick thoughts I want to share with you this morning. Number one, remember the kindness of God towards your life. That's what the 12 stones were about. He said, each of you go in for each one of the tribes you represent, and you get that stone out to remember that God rescued you from Egypt, that God parted the sea. Remember the kindness of God towards your life. Do you remember a time when God was just incredibly kind towards you when you didn't deserve it? But meditate upon those times. Pause and think about the goodness and the kindness of God towards you. And I can tell you something, it does something in your heart. What they realized with that study was that people with delayed gratification and willpower, willpower has nothing to do with willpower. It has everything to do with the emotions that fuel your willpower. And so if you are fueled with gratitude and thankfulness, you actually have a better chance of changing the bad habits you want to change. But you've got to pause and remember the kindness of God towards your life. And friends, I'm telling you, that's something that I do all the time because I'm always being drawn below that line to negativity, to politics, to all this stuff in life instead of above the line. Remember the kindness of God towards your life. The second thing, never, excuse me, second thing, let the uh, next generation see and feel that kindness through generosity. The stones weren't just a story, but the stones were something they could go by and they could touch and they could pick up and they could look at and they could talk to. And that's something that here I want the next generation to see and feel God's kindness. But my grandmother, and I'll talk to you about her in just a second as I close, but she would send a $30 check to my church plant 
She was a widow every month. And she would send a note of how thankful she was that Jesus saved me. She would pray for me every day when I'd go up and down the road right by her house. And I was a heathen of heathens, a pagan of pagans. She said, true. Well, you knew I was a pagan? I'm kidding. <laughs> I wasn't that bad. No, it actually was really bad. But she would always put a note in there of how thankful she is of what God had done. And she helped plant a church in Florida. Friends, I, I, I want you to understand that we talk about generosity. It's not about getting money from you. And we, we don't need your money. Matter of fact, we're, we're doing good as a church. So if you're like, ah, no, you know, it, it's not about a, a needy church begging from I don't, I don't care. Give somewhere else. It's about us proclaiming God's power to the next generation. That, guys, listen, there are, there are kids in the nursery. There are kids in the nursery that one day will get to experience Jesus because of what you've done in here. And finally this morning, never stop telling them the stories of God's goodness to you. Never stop telling them the stories of God's goodness to you. Can I tell you what changed my life? I didn't believe in Jesus. I, bought, I thought the Bible was just a, you know, full of baloney. I thought aliens created the earth. That's what I thought in high school. I was out there, man, like I was. I, I mean, I was out there. But can I tell you what changed me? It was the stories that my grandmother and my grandfather would tell me. And they would tell me, I mean, even though I didn't believe, they would say, well, son, if you have a moment, she'd get me down and you know, make, make some hamburger steak for me and mashed potatoes and gravy, you know, grandma's making biscuits, all that good stuff right there. And she would say, well, if you have, I just want to tell you about what, 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 just what the Lord did when we were younger. She said, you probably don't know this, but your grandfather couldn't read. Second grade education. And she said, but I would sit down with him at night after he got saved and we would read the Bible together and you see him reading the Bible every day. Now, he always read the Bible in front of us at, at, after lunch, always sit there and read. She said he learned to read, and the Holy Spirit helped him learn how to read, to read in the Bible. Didn't have any form of education. I thought, man, that's crazy. I'll never forget the story of Miss Lula Register. She was a prayer warrior at that little country church, and a man broke into her house, tied her up, and started stealing everything she had. And he said, I'm going to kill you when I get done. And man, she started praying, and she started praying in the Holy Ghost, and she started just praying and praying and pleading the blood of Jesus, asking God to save him. Lord, please save him. And that man untied her, put all the stuff back, and went out there crying, asking God to forgive him, screaming because of the power of God in that woman's life. I, I remember when my brother was 37 years old, and he had an aneurysm. And he was going to die that night. They said he won't make it through the night. My grandmother didn't know what was going on. They called my parents at 11 o'clock at night, and she got on her knees. My grandmother began to pray. And I'm talking about, I'm not talking about a little, she got in there and crying out to God. My parents tell the story of him opening his eyes up and looking around, and the doctors were baffled because five minutes earlier they said he won't make it through the night. They said, we don't know what's happened. There's been a miracle. And my mom called my grandmother and said, she said, you won't believe it. Daniel's away. She said, I do believe it. I was just praying. And, and can I tell you the, the, the stories, the stories that you tell of how God saved you and how God redeemed you. I want my son to look and say, Dad, why are you so generous? Why do you give this, all this money away and cars away for the kingdom? Why do you do all this? I said, son, let me tell you what Jesus did for me.
Let me tell you about this time when I prayed. Let me tell you about this story. The next generation, they need stones of generosity. Now the stories of God's goodness through that. And that's what the 12 stones were all about. This morning, let's pray. Father, I pray for every person in here today, God, that you would challenge them to be grateful, Lord, to live above the line of your goodness and your kindness and meditate upon that, Lord. And we give thanks to you, oh, for you are so good to us, God. So good. And God, I just pray for whatever people are facing right now, that the story would become a stone that they could tell generations about of how you met them. And we ask for this today, God, that you would do this in our hearts. And as we're praying today, church, we're in this mode of prayer. Maybe you haven't given your life to Jesus. Maybe you haven't fully surrendered. Maybe you're not all in. Right where you're at today, whether you've never given your life to Jesus or maybe you walked away from a bad version of Christianity. Whatever your story is today, this is your day to give your life to Jesus. Maybe you're watching via online somewhere and you know it's time to change the story of your life. Right where you're at, pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith. You say, God, I admit I need a Savior. I admit that I'm a sinner. But I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Today, I make him my Lord. I repent. I just, I turn from that old life. I turn from all those old ways. And I receive new life today. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. And I love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.